You're listening to Felony Podcast with your host, Dave Dahl, on the Startup Radio Network. The Felony Podcast explores ex-felons that have gone on to launch their own startups. We explore the ups, the downs, the -the behind-the-bar stories with these founders. Felony Podcast airs every Friday morning at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. My name is Mark Grimes, co-founder of Startup Radio Network. Also with us in the studio, Dave's partner in crime, Lad Justison. And here's a man with a plan, leader of the band, buff and tanned, Dave, the killer bread man, doll. Hi, thanks, Bob. Welcome to the Felony Inc. podcast, coming to you live from Portland, Oregon. We share stories that show again and again that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that happiness and success are a state of mind, not the result of material gain or fame. Don't get me wrong. I like making money, but it's really learning to rock the journey with all of its ups and downs that I call success. Owning up from my past mistakes and being willing to work harder than anyone else have been essential to my own triumphs. If you're not passionate and willing to work hard, you might as well have winning the lottery as your life plan, lad. It is. That's how good your odds are, lad. Our our best guests on Felony Inc. have discovered the amazing power of accountability and have converted adversity to wisdom and a success mindset. Most of our guests have been convicted of felonies and are now honest, hardworking entrepreneurs. Positive change isn't easy. Transformation, what is it, lad? It's an MFR. Yeah. We don't want to say that word out loud. <laughs> I don't say it. Okay, I'm Dave Dahl, and I co-founded Dave's Killer Bread. After a total of 15 years in the joint, as usual, my co-host is Lips Justison, a 20-year veteran of the Oregon prison system himself. Yo, Lips. <laughs> wow. I always get the best introductions, don't I? I just made that one up as I went, because you were running good. your lips. That's... Probably, I don't know. So, what, so you caught you off guard there, didn't I? Did you have something? Did you have something today to, to say? Is that what it was? Well, you know, no, I don't. Not really. But I would like to kind of promote uh, the band a little bit. Can I do that? Is yeah. that okay? Yeah. That's okay with the big D. We call them big D around here. Uh, we're gonna have a show on the seventeenth with uh, the famous. Curtis Salgado. He's, he's famous for good reason. He's uh, Curtis Salgado is um, just an amazing blues player. That's right. So the Killer Granddaddies will be at where are they going to be? Come Dar- on, Darcells. Darcells. It's going to be a one night thing there from six to eight p.m. Right. We're going to be down there playing with Curtis. He's and we got, but, but you know, what is what is it really about? We're we're there to promote a cause. I will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I will PDX. That's so right. Check out IWillPDX.com. They teach uh, they teach people the value and the meaning of of their own stories. You know, they they help us. You know, my story was ended up being very very important. Um, in my life, being able to look back and go, oh, boom, 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 this led to that, that led to this. Uh, for people to understand just how powerful that is, mm-hmm. that's what this uh, this uh, particular um, organization is about, and we're promoting that organization that night. Now they do a lot of great stuff. But to go on to the next thing, guess what? We have been invited to uh, our next show, um, and can you tell us a little bit about that? It's the youth project. Uh, boy, yeah, that's. Uh, I don't really know too much about it. I just found out about it last night. Um, last night, I was asked by a friend um, to have us play the Granddaddies, Killer Granddaddies, at uh, this annual fundraiser for youth um, youth music project, and. They, you know, we're playing at the world of speed. That's where it is. So that's about all I know right now. So that's going to be when? 
Um, that is going to be, it doesn't say, oh yeah, it's April 13th, and you can find them at their, you, you know, youth project uh, Right, website. so then we got other things going on after that, but that's all we have time for right now. Okay, let's go. So, um, let's get to our guest. Today's guest is Shannon Olive of Women First Transition and Referral Center. Did I say it right? Yes, you did. Their mission is to help women identify and discover themselves, establish and maintain relationships with partner organizations so that they can offer resources in providing leadership training necessary to assist with rebuilding lives. Um, so, hey, welcome to Felony Podcast, Shannon Olive. How are you? I'm blessed. How are you? Oh, I'm excellent. Excellent. Yeah. Um, well, we're just meeting today. Mm-hmm. And... You have a lot going on, uh, so we want to get to that. We want to start, though, uh, with, you know, how you came to be here. And you you seem to be, uh, we were talking about uh, story and the power of it and the value and the meaning of it. Now, do you have a story that you'd like to tell us about, about yourself? I do. Well, that would be great. Let's All go. Right. So good morning, everyone, and I just want to say thank you to the um, team for inviting us out, Felony Inc. Podcast Network, to invite us out to come out and talk to you all a little bit about Women's First and who I am and um, what um, God has given us to do to help with women in which we serve um, in the justice involved and also women in recovery and women that's recovering from trauma. So a little bit about myself and how I got to where I am today is, um, again, my name is Shannon Olive, born and raised here in Portland, Oregon, mother and father born and raised here in Portland, Oregon. At the age of seven, my father passed away, um, and he was the first man in Oregon to donate his heart in 1985 at OHSU. The man that he donated his heart to, Wesley Merrill, lived on my father's heart um, for five years. After my father passed away, our family kind of went to the left. You know, my mom, my dad was my, my dad was my mom's everything, and so she kind of fell off the earth once my dad passed away. Um, at that time, we and my brother, we were introduced into the um, DHS. We had to go to DHS and stay in foster care. Myself, I was able to, um, I actually went to three different homes um, before I actually found the family who really took me in and loved me for who I am and accepted me for being someone else's child that was going through some challenging situations. Um, and when I moved in with Mother Palmer, Maldale Palmer, she was my foster mom and I love her still to this day and we still stay in contact with one another. I stayed in her home for about eight and a half years till I was 15 and a half. The thing is, is that while I was living there, she was a church mother, so I was introduced to God at a young age. And um, she had already had an image of how she wanted my life to be consisted of because she didn't want me to get caught up in the street life. And so I was more curious about what's going on out there and why she didn't want me to be um, subjected to that lifestyle. So you had to go find out. I had to go find out. So when I was 15 and a half, I ran away at the age of 16, um, probably a couple months months after um, running away, I ended up getting involved with other people that I shouldn't have been involved with, the gang members, drug dealers, um, hanging out with prostitutes, and just trying to find my way now that I'm out here, because I was curious and wanted to know, now I'm out here now, what do we do to help you know survive out of this? In May of 1996, um, May 6, 1996, I had my first child. He was 16. I was 16 years old. Um, I went through a lot with that. Um, because my son was taken away from me um, after birth to um, DHS, and um, I, as a kid, as a 16-year-old, not knowing how to handle this, not knowing even how to support myself um, or even be an advocate of myself, I had family members who stepped up. They wouldn't allow my son to go stay with them because of their criminal history. Um, so six months later, my son was. Um, adopted out, I mean, adopted into, he was adopted to a family. And um, at that time, I was just, it, it really caused me to do more than what I was actually involved in. I started using drugs. I started hanging out with uh, more dope dealers. I ended up traveling the other side of town to go in and, and sell my body for a man, because at this time, I was really 
I was strapped. Was I, this sort of a, a progression uh, that, okay, the event of losing the child, do you think that had an effect on, on you as far as, you know, with the direction you went? Um, just kind of one thing after another, and finally just kind of came to a point where, screw it. Is yes. That, was that where you were? So I, um, after that happened, I just kind of did my, lived my life. Um, I was then, after my son was adopted, then I went on into um, uh, working with other, trying to find my way because I felt really disturbed. I felt really left out. I felt alone. I felt um, disappointed in myself. So I had my second child when I was 19 years old. And what I did is I made a vow to him, to myself, that I wasn't going to put him through what I put, what happened with the other, my first child. Nor did I want to see myself going down the same path as a lot of, that I've learned, had learned about my mother because we were in foster care too. So once I had my second child, it was time for me to be stand up and do something different with my life so that I can be the mother to my child that I needed to be to him. In 2002, I ended up um, going back to school at Concord Career Institute to become a medical um, assistant. Um, and you, were, got, you were about 23 or so? Yeah, I was about, I was about yeah. 20, 21 oh. around there. Yeah, that's about, yeah. yeah, 22. Went back to school, had some challenges with my son's father about daycare and stuff, so I just, it took me longer than what I expected, but I did it. I worked it out. I graduated. In 2004, I graduated in December, but in April of 2004, I ran into um, a guy named Johnny Gage. He's been around for 27, 30 plus years in Oregon, doing a lot of advocacy, working with the justice system. And he approached me and said, hey, Shannon, I'm a part of this organization. I would love for you to come to the meeting. So when I got to the meeting, the, organ the organization was name was Oregon Action. And what they do is they um, serve low-income people of color, disenfranchised people, and they also um, they also uh, help train uh, the people that come through their program through leadership so that they can later advocate for themselves. I got involved with that organization. The first year was president election, and it was John Kerry and President Bush. I was really excited about going through the leadership development program because it allowed me to see another side of me that I didn't know that I had. In that year, I registered over a thousand voters for the president election, um, presidential election. I continued on to stay on board with Oregon Action for four years as a volunteer, Joanne Hardesty, which was Joanne Bowman, she was one of the um, oh, leaders yeah. that I um, was underneath as, as far as leadership and helping me, mentoring me and stuff. After I, in 2008, 2009, um, I was at a, a networking event. Joanne introduced me to Kevin O'Deal, who was the founder of Opal Organizing People Activating Leaders. Um, at that time, I... Um, let me back up a little bit. I'm sorry. 2006, before I got in to, while I was working with Oregon Action, I ended up catching a case, and it put me in a situation where now I'm a felon. So that was your I, first case that, was that you my, caught? That was, was yeah. that a drug case? It was a drug case. Yeah. And um, so now I was, I really was kind of like, what do I do now? I got my son. Now I got myself caught up in this, trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. What do I do now? So I most definitely continued on because I felt like I can't let this thing have a label over me and, and, and help bring me down. So I got to continue to keep striving and continue to keep being the best that I can be. In 2009, um, 2007, I went to jail at Clark County. At that time, I was living in Vancouver. I wasn't able to get a babysitter to do my community services or anything like that. So I was able, I went to jail. 30 days in the Clark County. At that time, 2007, that's when God gave me the vision for Women's First. Mm. And I sat down for the whole 30 days. I did not talk to nobody. I just meditated on what he wanted me to do. And I just was typing on the computer, getting this program already together. When I got out, I was excited. I was like, okay, I got a program. Now this is really going to help me. I'm going to be the best that I can be. I'm going to be the, you know, and I was just really excited trying to do everything that I can. But at the time, I didn't have the right people in place that had the same mindset that I wanted. To but you had some influence. The influence you were you got from people like Joanne and uh, Johnny Gage, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Those, those folks really made an impact 
and your mind. They did. And so I that what I continue to stay involved with them, although I was facing something, but I continue to stay involved with them so that I can help rebuild my um, motivation and stay encouraged and stay empowered to be able to do the work that needed to be done. Um, in 2009, um, I, I after trying to get Women's First off the ground, I just said, well, Lord, I can't get the right people. I can't do the right, you know, it's, it's not moving like I want to, so I'm going to just put it away until you say it's time for me to go forth. 2009, I was um, in, introduced to Kevin O'Deal, who um, was the who was the founder of Opal Organizing People, Activating Leaders. And I was introduced to him to Joanne. And so they were looking for an organizer at that time. And so Joanne just, you know, made a great recommendation and said, here, here's one right here. We, you can use her. She's been with us for four years. She knows what to do. She knows how to do it. And she knows how to make an impact in people's lives. So here she is. So he hired me. I came on board in 2009. At that time, I was the lead bus organizer for informing and educating bus riders about the service cuts and um, fare increase. We informed over 2,000 people in our database. Um, and right now, because of that, we have made some changes. The organization itself, with me starting with them, have made some changes with the TriMet bus system as far as the zoning, as far as the um, how much time a person has with their ticket. So we had to do a lot, but we was able That's to make a difference. actually. I, I spent so many years since I've... I used to ride, you know, public transportation all the time, not just in Portland, but wherever. And um, I imagine things have changed a lot, right? Mm -hmm. And so that was your job to get it out there and tell people, like, what? What were you telling them? What basically I was telling them is that because of the fact that the TriMet didn't reach out to the community, to allow their voices to be heard about the changes this was going to get made. And so our job was to basically get out there and inform folks about the fare increase in service cuts. And a lot of the cuts that they were doing was on the bus lines where a lot of the people that live out in East Portland, which was in that gentrification time. So a lot of those bus lines was going to be cut for people to be able to get back and forth. And folks really need them. And folks really need yeah. them. Yeah. So we was able to get out there. We was at bus malls. We was at transit centers. We was in schools. We was in just getting the information out. And then not only did we just share the information, but we had Bus Riders Unites meeting where people can come and be engaged and get involved and get educated and be able to be empowered to be able to share the information to other people that are also suffering behind this what, as well. What was the, what's the result of that? I mean, what what is the end, end game or end goal of, of doing that? You're, do, are you able to keep some of the bad things from happening or are you just basically letting people know hey this is coming and you're screwed so you better do something so that was the really the whole message was to basically really get people on board because if TriMet was making a decision on cutting out some um, services and then raising the fares up then the people who was going to be impacted by that needed to understand and get educated and see how they can get involved and let their voices to be heard how this is really going to impact our lives you guys made a decision but guess what the decision that you're making is going to put an impact on me and my family. So we had a lot of people, numerous of meetings going to the board meetings for TriMet. Um, we even had an event at the PSU South Park Blocks. I was able to speak in regards to the Bus Riders Unite. Um, it was very phenomenal. And again, like I said, there was a lot of people that got involved because a lot of folks use transportation. And being able to hear that they're going to cut out some services and they're going to raise the increase the fares, I need to be at that table. Could we could, would, would you do anything about it, though? I mean, were you able to do anything about what that was happening, or was it just kind of like, hey, this is education? Education and, you know, people that getting their voice heard, but, I mean, did anybody listen? So we was able to, uh, like, again, we went to a, a numerous of board meetings and brought people in to testify. So with that being said, it took us about, hmm, it took about a year and a half. But what the results that happened out of people coming up and talking about their story, they was able to extend the time on the transfer because usually you have like an hour and an hour to go back and forth. Sometimes you have to catch four and five buses. By the time you get on the second bus, that hour is gone. So they was able to increase the time frames on the transfers. And then also for the zoning because there's zone one, two, and three. Um, they, at that time, there was only one and 
two zones. So we was able to increase it to three zones mm-hmm. where people can be able to have that opportunity to travel in a distance time to be able to get their needs met for themselves. That's great. So you found solutions and mm-hmm. uh, you mitigated the, the disaster. Yes. Yes. Very cool. Well, we have to take a break. Okay. Um, great story so far. All right. We'll be right back with you. Okay. CPA Dudes, where accounting is never boring. Their price is not based on time. Instead, customers decide what to pay them. They don't charge you for sending invoices, phone calls, emails, texts, or meetings. They just get the damn job done. Find them at cpadudes.com slash startup radio. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and we'll send you a very special surprise. Seriously, we will. Today's episode of the Felony Inc. podcast is brought to you by Publicize, a deconstructed PR subscription service which generates effective visibility for your business. Publicize handles all communications with the media and any content required to do this, such as press releases, editorial pitches, etc. And they offer a wide range of PR products and abilities out of which you can construct the PR package right for the future of your business. All right. Well, this is Dave Dahl and Lad Justison and uh, Alan Bourgeois. Uh, it's Beausoleil. Beausoleil. Alan Bourgeois. Solid Cajun <laughs> name. <laughs> anyway, and we have our great guest, uh, Shannon Olive of uh, Women First Transition and Referral Center. And she's telling us our story. And take up where you left off with the TriMed action. So after we was able to um, make, um, get people's voices heard and um, was able to meet with the board meeting, I mean board of TriMet, then like I said, we was able to get some resolutions made for the people. Um, They stepped down from the fare increase and the service cuts and they was able to come up with a solution on how we can continue to serve bus riders that needs the bus, buses and needs the different services. services for those bus routes. So um, after I, um, about a year and a half later, I ended up going back to school in 2010 um, to get my, just to continue my education. Um, At that time, I was able to join um, the criminal justice uh, program, and that's what my goal was to become a probation officer and um, just, you know, be able to help with this, the legal action piece of things. Can you be a pro- probation officer with a felony? Um, well, I'm going to tell you about that okay. in just a second. So um, after I graduated at PCC, um, I was able to uh, join the um, student program, student government program. I was the director of legislative affairs. And at that time, I was able to um, educate students um, about the political process and the importance of going to speak into the le- legislators about issues that impacts our lives once again. At that time, there was issues around student debt. Um, we was able to connect with uh, Mayor Tom Willer, who is now the mayor. At that time, he was the secretary of state. We lobbied down there and spoke to him and other legislations about legislators about student debt. And he was in support of the work that we were talking about and to help and make a change with the student debt of how much people will have to pay after college. So um, moving on, after I graduated in 2014, I wrote a letter to the judge who actually, I when I got um, convicted of the felony for the drugs, I wrote a letter to him in 2014, and I shared with him how this felony charge has been a label over me and has not allowed me to be able to do the things that I would like to do. I shared with him how I've changed, what things I have done since then, and just was asking him if you can give me a chance, um, because I feel like I deserve one, if you can give me a chance in um, drop this mis- felony to a misdemeanor so that I can be able to move forward with my life. Mm-hmm. Um, about a week later, I got the letter from the judge, and he he dropped it from a felony to a misdemeanor. Wow. Well, that, that makes awesome. sense. I mean, she didn't. It's not like you had this a bunch of crap that you've been in trouble and in trouble again. This was your first trouble, mm-hmm. so they it, it would have been it's justice to give you that. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. That's great. 
So I was really excited. And I said, yes, now I can be able to. And he gave the lady gave me the copy and said, make numerous of copies. So when they ask you about criminal, your criminal background, you can give them this because they will have it on your record. Um, so then in 2015, I graduated from PCC um, with my criminal justice associate's degree. Um, and at that time when I graduated, I just kind of stepped back and wanted to see if the the um, my degree would have worked for itself. I was trying to get in corrections and work in that field, but it just I just couldn't make the connections to get there, or get into some place like that. So throughout my times, I worked for numerous of organizations in shelters, Janice Youth Programs, Human Solutions, Salvation Army Female Emergency Shelter, Urban League, a lot of different organizations that I just put my heart and passion into working to help people because I've always liked it to do that. And so in 2016, I moved out to North Portland. Um, I ended up gotten, I ended up getting hired as a resident service coordinator there. Worked there for about a year. My goal was to provide programs and services inside of the apartments to come in to help people as they are low come, reach up to the top, go through different phases so that they can eventually become self-sufficient, own their own homes, you know, go back to school, different things like that. Well, in March March of 2017, I was at my computer, and the Lord spoke to me and said, Shannon, it's your time now. And I was like, my time? And he said, women's first. And so I said, okay. Well, I was excited then because I was, I've been always wondering when this time was going to come that I can actually do the work that he gave me in 2007 when I was sitting in that jail cell. And so... Um, I went on ahead. At this time, I had a uh, build up a lot of relationships and connections in the community, so I was able to know where to go to try to get the assistance and support. Got on board, got people, sent emails out. People who has um, got on contact with me and started just really helping me, helping me to push forward and making connections. Um, I was able to connect with. Um, um, Bridges to Change is our partner organization. Oh, that's cool. Yes, and so they... That's actually, right. I saw Monta as a supporter. Yeah, yeah. and so um, they took me under their leadership in September of last year, of 2017. Mm -hmm. are, are you... Is, you know that uh, um, new facility they have? Yeah. Uh, oh. The Diane Wade? Yeah. Do you know, are you in connected with that? I no? am. Yeah. I will um, be doing programming in there because we have an office space out on 214th and Stark okay. with Bridges to Change. Will they, you tell us just a little bit about, can you tell us just a real quickie about uh, about the Diane Wade thing? So the Diane Wade, from what I understand, is the Afrocentric um, home that's providing 38 beds for women that's in mental health and justice involved women. Mm -hmm. So it's a place where they actually can be able to come to um, for African American women, that they have a place to transition once they out of, coming out of prison, or as they're in that mental health phase of their lives, and this is a place where um, they will be able to stay there three to six months, and um, and as they're staying there, they have mentors that's mentoring them, and that's helping them to provide stability, um, support, and advocacy so that they can be able to work and do the things that they need to be um, empowered and be able to be successful in their life. I like that. Well, you know, Dave owns uh, uh, an African art business. I don't know if he was aware of that. No. But, we, you know, through Monta, um, they were able to well, uh, get some decoration well, from, they, from Dave's business. They, nice. had, they had budget for some, and then we donated a bunch more. We've got a whole bunch of it ready to go, and, and it's going to be great, it's when, great. They, when they decorate it. Anyway, uh, so that's cool. You're involved in that. And what, what else? So here we are. So now Women's First Transitional and Referral Center, we are an um, organization that serves justice-involved women, women in recovery, and women that's recovering from trauma. And we help them to overcome their obstacles through peer mentorship, life skills training, empowerment groups, and also essential community support. Um, in November of 2017, we were able to launch our I Love Me Women Empowerment Groups in Northeast Portland with the collaboration of Miracles Club at the Miracle Central Apartments. Um, and at that time, the um, identity focus on value, identity formation, value clarification. We also promote healthy behaviors that increases the academic, social, emotional, and spiritual growth. And we help women to educate, to learn, to love, and value themselves. Mm -hmm. um, after we continued on moving forward with our groups, we was able to launch our peer mentorship program based out of Coffee Creek Correctional Facility. And basically what we are there to do is build relationships, make connections, 
um, develop that trust with women six months prior to their release. So we're in Coffee Creek twice a month, second and fourth Monday for two hours, connecting with those women. We already had five women that's been released that's out in the community now. We got five more women that we're working with. Um, and our mentorship program works with them six months. Once they release, we're there to work with them for another year to provide that advocacy, stability, and support so that they can, too, be productive and successful women of our community. So what type of programs, you know, do you help them get into once, you know, they get out? So um, during the time that we're visiting them at Coffee Creek, we help them to create an action plan. And the action plan is, is based around, we focus on um, education, employment, um, housing, family, counseling, medical, the legal, um, and then also the individual itself. And so what we wanted, what we, our goal is to, for them to create what type of action that they want to do um, as they're ex released from the prison. And so what we do is once we create an action plan with them, then we identify what program services and um, organizations and resources is available that coincides with that um, action plan that they created. So once they're um, released, they're ready to navigate back into the system, becoming productive, successful, and they have a sense of direction and a plan of where they're um, going. Do most of them, uh, before you, before they get in your, in your program and stuff, they probably have no idea what their action plan is, right? So mm -hmm. it's really part of the job, part of your mission would be to help them figure that out, right? That's correct. And then to, and then to help them, um, you know, make it happen. Implement it, yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so, so what do you, when you first get somebody um, in your program, how does that work? So we are currently um, collaborate we, um, with the African American program that's um, based in Coffee Creek. It's a program. We also work with the chaplain, and then we also work with Jessica Katz, which is through the YWCA Family Preservation Project. So we have a mentor request form that we send out to everyone. And if any woman is interested, and we're working right now to really kind of get more information out, so all the different. Um, all the different programs, the different um, people that's in, inside of the prison can have our information flyer to be able to share with the women. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they complete the mentor request form, and then once we get it, then we um, take a look at it. Then we're able to interview the woman, kind of kind of recap what she talked about in that request form, and then once we um, then we made a decision because in order for you to be in, eligible for the program, you have to it have to be six months until your release. Um, so then once we connect with the women. We have a very intense intake just to kind of get to know who they are and who we're going to be working with and what are some of the things right now that's challenging for them. And then we do an assessment. And then once the assessment is done, we go forth and moving forward with completing different tasks around worksheets and different things that we have them to do that applies to them prior to them being released and once they get out. How do you, um, how do you, well, it seems like that might be the challenge is vetting, vetting the people that you are putting their point in the request. Do you get a lot of requests? We do. And these folks tend to be good applicants? They are. Um, our first pool of women that came out in five, the five women, they were kind of like a pilot project for us because when we went to do our presentation in the jail, um, those women was getting out anywhere from 30 to 45 days, maybe 60 at the max. And so our, our program is six months prior to your release. Mm -hmm. And so we made, you know, we said, well, we want to be able to help someone. You know, if they don't have a mentor, they don't have no one that they can go to for support, we're willing to step up and just be that support for them. So they were the first five women that got out of prison, and we're mentoring with them now. Um, we didn't want to just say, okay, well, you're not six months out, so we can't help you. No, we just went on ahead and took the initiative and stepped up and made it happen for these women. Do some of these women move on and become mentors themselves? Well, you know, a lot of the women that we have in our program from the empowerment groups and also the um, mentorship program, um, they are most definitely on board with that. We have one woman that, my mother, she's also um, a mentor with our program. She's working with a young woman right now, or an older woman right now, that's going to take her trainings for a certified recovery mentor this Saturday. And your mom learned a lot just by having you for a daughter, right? That's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. Yes. We went through a lot, me and my mom, at a young age, on her being her being on drugs for 28 years, and now she's celebrated her 10 years last September, and she's doing a phenomenal job. I'm really excited for my mom, right. you know, just to see her journey of where she come from, where she was at, and then where she is now, and where she's on her way to. So she's a very special person in my life. 
Well, you know, Dave, I, I think it's you know something significant to look at is that um, this all started from you doing 30 days in jail. Yeah. It all started with, you know, and that's a, it's, it's a great thing to look at from the people that are listening that's right inspiring. now that are in prison, you know. This is where it starts. It starts right there. Mm-hmm. That's, an, that's an inspiring part of the story because um, it's that adversity mm-hmm. that breeds something special in you. It was always there, but you needed the adversity to yes. bring it out. Mm-hmm. And so now, here you are doing good things. Um, can you tell me any more about the successes or failures or both that you, because every, every, everything has failures and every, every experiment I've ever done has some failures mm-hmm. and, um, they, you learn from those and you learn from the successes. So, uh, just give me any more experiences you've had with, uh, uh women first, because, um, you know, whatever you want to tell me. Mm-hmm. So my experience so far with women's first is it's been um, it's been I, I truly can say that it's hard work um, because especially when you're coming into it by yourself trying to get everything and then make connections with different people and learning people as you go and um, networking and building more relationships the time the process understanding and trusting the process it may not come when you want it to come but God is believing I believe that he's working it out so it'll be on time when the time does come Um, the challenges that kind of I mean successful things that we've had in the last year 2018 we had 10 women who graduated from our I Love Me Women in Power Groups and um, were. Do they have to love themselves to get to graduate? <laughs> <laughs> we want to make sure that, you know, that's the goal, yes. you know, and so um, it not is. Easy. A, it's not easy. It's a 12 week course, a 12 week um, groups. It's, it's um, closed, it's a closed group, and it's a. Um, we meet with the women once a week. Um, we're actually. We started at a. a, a an hour and a half, but now we're um, increasing the time to two hours because we're implementing a workbook so that they can have something to study with. How'd you get that going? Well, um, just that just costs learning. Money, doesn't it? It, it does. It yeah. does. And so. Um, how did it, just kind of learning from the women that's participating in the groups and we found that there was some women that was missing a lot of classes and different things like that so we thought that it would be good to have a workbook that we can have in class and then if you're not able to make it to the next group you can complete the workbook bring it back and be ready to go for the next class ah, that you missed I like that. Um, and it's also a reflective thing too they, it's theirs once they complete the program it's theirs so they can always go back and use it as a reflecting tool as Ooh. something as a guiding tool and stuff I like like that a lot. Um, you know, that's how I learn well, is mm-hmm. by writing and mm-hmm. doing that sort of thing. Um, so if you were, how did you create the workbook? So what we did is that um, our curriculum, so I basically used um, all the information from our topic discussions, because when we have lectures um, in our in our group, we always get the feedback from the women. So um, utilizing the actual curriculum, um, empowerment, I love, I love me curriculum, what we did is we used the topics to kind of use that as a... Um, to share a, what the topic discussion is going to be. But what we did is we took the feedback that we got from all the women, the 10 women within our program that graduated over the course of those groups and turned them into questions based off of their feedback that they gave us. Then we have another part of the book where it's outline of asking people, what do these words mean to you? How do you? How do these words reflect off of what you've been through? So it's kind of like we're using what we learned from the mm-hmm. women. And this workbook, uh, is this going to be like a changing all the time, kind of growing sort of thing? It, it most definitely yeah. will. Mm-hmm. That makes a lot of mm-hmm. sense. Um, but so right right now you've been, this program's been around three years or so? It'll be two years, March two 17th. Years. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you're just getting started. Yes. You need all the help you can get at this most point. Most definitely. <laughs> most definitely. Um, <laughs> before we forget, why don't you we got a minute or two before the next thing, so uh, do some plugging. So um, just wanted to kind of give information out to all you viewers and listeners. Um, so we are going to be having a fundraiser tonight, um, and it's hosted by Portland Craft Bar. Leah Woods is the owners, and um, the reason for Portland Craft Bar, let me say what it does, 
It provides art parties and craft classes for kids and adults. And this fundraiser will be hosted to help raise funds for Women's First to work to provide transitional housing, clean and sober living um, to women who's been served in Coffee Creek. Um, Coffee Creek to have a safe, clean, and sober living as women are working to become successful and productive citizens in our community. So the event will be tonight at 211 Southeast Madison Street. Um, Southeast? Southeast Madison yeah. Street, yes. Um, suite number three. Um, we are going to be having paper marbling, which is $5. And um, again, all the proceeds for this night's event, it starts at 6 to 9. Um, all the proceeds will go to our transitional housing um, program. And so we're really excited. We really appreciate. And we thank Leah for hosting this for us and believing in us. If you're not able to make it, you can go to our website at www.rebuild womenfirst.org and make a donation there. Fantastic. Okay, we're going to talk more about that. Um, but we're going to go to a break here. All right. Support for today's episode comes from our friends at Ruby Receptionists. At Ruby, they've mastered the art of turning rings into relationships. Their team of remote receptionists answer all of your calls live as if they're right there in your office. And with Ruby's mobile app, you easily control just how they screen, transfer, and take your messages. Start setting your business apart today. Visit callruby.com slash startupradio to sign up, or better yet, call them at 833-861-8100 and use promo code STARTUPRUBY. Tell them Dave and Lad sent you, and you get a $150 credit. You should make a necklace out of that. Yeah. Well, <laughs> we were just talking about my little two-year coin, AA coin here. Oh, nice. Uh, that fell out of my wallet. Anyway, so I'm pretty happy about that. Two years, huh? A little, yes. little over well, two congratulations, years. Congratulations, brother. I got brother. about 25 months. That's awesome, man. Nice. I'm, I'm proud of you. Me too. Yeah. Uh, thank you. I don't ever yes. say that to him, but today I will. Okay, yeah, you do too. You say it a lot. <laughs> you, say, you say it enough. I appreciate <laughs> it. All right, so, um, yeah, back to now. She has an event. Shannon Olive has an event tonight with, uh, you know, Women First Recovery and... What was it again? Recovery and what? Center? <laughs> Transition and referral Transition. center. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> referral right, center. It's all right. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, there's an event going on, and um, we'll get to that one more time. But uh, how do you generally um, make your money for this to work? So right now we are a volunteers within the organization. We haven't had the, um, we're looking to write more grants so that we can get the funding for our positions. But in the last year, we've had, um, our first grant was through Moto, uh, Multnomah Culture Coalition. Um, our second grant that we received, and these are all small grants, just to kind of continue to keep the programs up and running. We got a grant from United Way. Do you have somebody who writes? Um, you know, the, our grant writer, she passed away. Uh -oh. Rest in peace, Anna mm -hmm. O'Malley. She was a nice woman, very energetic, very enthusiastic, and very supportive. And she did supportive. it for, as a volunteer? Yes, she did. We actually was connected with her through uh, Monta at Bridges to Change. Oh, cool. Yes. Now, Monta's such a great resource. Yes, he is. Yeah. He's always, He's been a great help with us um, as mentoring and showing us and, you know, taking us under his wing and just being that support for us so we can be able to really push this thing and continue yeah. this movement he's for a good women. Man. Yes, he is. Gotta like him. Shout out to Monta. Yeah. <laughs> Monta was Monta a guest Knudsen. on here before. Yeah. yeah. So uh, we just basically, um, like I said, we got those small mini grants, and um, then we do have a contract with Bridges to Change Forward, our women empowerment groups. And so right now, like I said, um, you know, of course, it's not about the money. It's about the service that we're able to provide, but most definitely we have to have pay bills, you know, and do what we have to do. But, that's reality. Um, it is. And I, I know that sooner than later, we will get a grant that would help um, provide for our um our positions. So do you guys have uh, offices or something here in Portland? Yes, we do. Um, we have an office space on 214th and Stark. It's in, we share office space with Bridges to Change the Club Hope Building. Oh. Um, they, we've been there since last August. And that's just, it's a blessing because I used to work out in my home and then I would have to come out in the community to meet different people. Mm -hmm. But when um, Monta said, hey, you can, we got a spot for you. That so, guy's got a big heart. He it? does. <laughs> <laughs> He's been very great. He's done a really good job with Bridges. So I'm glad to hear that 
you know, he's got you kind of under his wing now mm-hmm. a little bit because I know that's a good sign for you guys. Yes. Um, so uh, as we were talking now, we what are the some of the challenges that that you're facing and what you know what are the the opportunities so right now the challenges that we are facing is um recruitment you know we're looking to develop a core team Mm -hmm. of people that will be uh get on board to help with um compelling this vision um we have volunteers that we've reached out to that's reached out to us that we are in the you know process of working with but just being able to recruit a core team that applies to the overall organization that's one of the challenges that we're um, facing right now and um and um, funding is also a challenge right now. Um, but we most definitely know that the more we continue to keep doing what we need to do, that's not going to be a challenge anymore. And it's so, you know, it's great to see organizations that are clearly passion-driven rather than just, you know, because so many are, once they get to a certain size yeah. especially, uh, organizations tend to lose their soul. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I hope that you can keep your soul through, you know, the company's soul through all this, all the changes to come. Yes, most definitely. Um, what I've learned to do that is that um, trust in the process. And because I truly believe that God gave me this vision and um, because he gave me this vision that it's, it's, it's going to work in his favor, in our favor. So I just put it to myself and share with myself all the time that um, you can continue to keep going. Even if you get the ups and downs, mm-hmm. hang in there. That's part you of know, it. Um, don't give up because it's it's this Expect is a need. That. Yes, and um, our affirmation statement for women's first is it says, "I am somebody. I do love myself. I will work hard to better me and to help someone else." So that affirmation statement was given to me years ago, back in 2007. I was laying down in the bed. God woke me up and said, "Hey," because I said, "Well, Lord, I want to have an affirmation statement, some type of prayer, or something like the God grant me serenity, the serenity." Prayer. I love that. Yes, and so he woke me up one morning at 3, 4 o'clock in the morning and said, it's a cardboard and it's a pen on the side of your bed. Write this down. And that's what I wrote. I am somebody. I do love myself. I will work hard to better me and to help someone else. You know, helping someone else is a big part of that, isn't mm-hmm. it? It is. Giving back yeah. is what it actually keeps us. Um, it feeds our souls. Mm-hmm. It, it does. Feeds, it feeds our futures and, and the way that we that we love and, and live. Mm-hmm. It's true. Remember, Dave, when uh, you was uh, promoting Dave's Killer Bread, people would ask you, well, Dave, uh, do you attend AA or NA or whatever? Mm-hmm. And uh, you would always tell them, hey, this is my... This is my NA right here. Mm. Yeah, and I, then I was nice. usually back in those days. I would say, "You want to go have a drink afterwards?" <laughs> I didn't hide nothing. Right. But that was them days, yeah. and I can't do that anymore. Right. But so. it, isn't that the way it is for you? That is. This is kind of you know. This is what it is. This yeah. is This is what I'm thriving. This is my thrive. This is, um, you know, and I'm. Pr- I feel privileged because God could have chose chose someone else to do the assignment, mm. but He chose me, yeah. and so that's. I feel good about that. I, I thrive I off bet. of that, you know, that I was chosen to do this. And looking at my lifestyle, so what I've been through, yes, this is most Gratitude definitely. is a beautiful thing. Humility is a beautiful thing. I see all that in you. I see courage. And um, and so I, I see a good future. Thank you. you. Yeah. I appreciate that. And how satisfying is it for you to, you know, you, this program's only two years long. Mm-hmm. You haven't really seen the long-lasting effects from any of your people that you've helped. Right. But how satisfying is that for you to go in there and just see a change in, in any particular person and how they, they you know, they, mm. their outlook on life? So it makes, it, it really empowers me. Um, because of the fact that I look at how um, when we talk about mentorship, peer mentors, there are people that has actually lived a, sh- a life, a struggle. Mm-hmm. They've been on drugs. They've been in jail. They, you know, they've lived that life. So and now they're giving back. And now they're giving back. And so being able stuff. to, yeah, so being able to connect and relate to someone else that's mm-hmm. actually been through that same struggle, it's it makes it's it's a really um, it satisfies me the most because I can relate to her. 
I can share with her what I did to make a difference or what I would encourage her to do to think about the decisions that she's going to make. Um, because we go through ups and downs in our lives, we have to understand that if you want it, you're going to get it. And so being able to be there, to be that support or that ear or that or somebody that they can just a shoulder to cry on and just being able to say, look at my life. Because every day I go home, I just thank God. Lord, I thank you for another day. I thank you for what you've done for me. I thank you for the women that you have brought to us to be able to help because they will be the leaders for tomorrow yeah. with what they've been through. And that oh, just yeah. kind of gets me. Keep That's going. the ripple effect. That's the uh, exponential effect of doing good. You either do good or you do bad that's or right. nothing, you that's know, right. which is if you're doing nothing, that's kind of bad. So if the thing is, if you're doing something good, you're helping others, um, I'm still trying to help Lad, but you know, if you're doing <laughs> I'm that, incorrigible. yeah, if you're doing that, you know, eventually you're making a difference that's going to make a much bigger difference than you can ever make. It's just you starting yes. planting seeds. Yes, it's I call it the good seed effect. That's why I have good seed tattooed on my back. I oh, mean, nice. Yeah, I'm not a bad seed anymore. I'm right. a good seed. Yes. So, All right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. I like that. Well, you know, in in prison, you know, I I when I was in there, um, it was always you know very inspiring to see the hardest core guy in there. Mm. somehow changes life around. Mm. I mean, you know, and what an effect that one guy had on just a whole bunch of different people. Mm. You know, mm -hmm. it just, it was crazy. Just, you know, um, just this tough, no-nonsense guy. You could never, you know, push his buttons. And he somehow found the right way to go and started changing his life, and it just affected so many people, you know. And I just wanted to add, you know, I didn't, I didn't get a chance, and I thank God that I didn't go to prison. I did 30 days in county jail. But even the experience that I experienced in the county jail for the time before I went out to the industrial area to stay there, it was it was it was very um, it was very degrading for me. Um, you know, um, I, that was your bottom. That's all you needed. It was, and and that is that was my bottom. You're right. That was yeah. my bottom. And so um, everybody's got a different bottom. They do. And so I just appreciate, just with that 30 days, what I learned, the wisdom that I was able to get, obtain, and um, just being, um, again, um, ready to, I, I, I guess when I was in there, even watching The Passion of Christ, I never had seen that movie till I went there. Mel Gibson? Yes. Oh. And so when I saw that, I was really sad, you know, and I just was in the place by myself crying up to God and just being able to give him the honor and just be ready to hear his spirit. So it all worked out for where I am today, and I'm blessed. Well, Mike, we're running out of time over here. All right. That's been a really good, you've been a great guest. Thank Shannon. you so much for having me. Uh, you know, thanks for joining us this week on Felony Inc. And join us every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific time at StartupRadioNetwork.com. And catch previous episodes on any podcast app. If you know what's good for you, you'll shut up and listen. <laughs> if you don't, I can't promise that we won't show up at your place late at night and make you listen. Breaking and entering lad's ass. This will be full on breaking and listening. And um, once again, a, a big thank you to this week's guest, Shannon Olive of Rebuild Women First. That's, an, that's another way. That's, yep. that's the name of the website. Mm -hmm. Rebuild Women First. Uh, boy, there's, there's a lot going on there. Tune in next week as we welcome uh, in the studio Riley Morgan, a graduate of Oregon's Coffee Creek Correctional Facility mm. Hair and Styling Program. Okay, nice. we talked about Coffee Creek today, nice. and we're going to talk about Coffee Creek again next week. That's right, and coming up after the break is Latino Founder Hour with your host Edgar Navis and Claudia Cardenas. Their podcast is usually in Spanish, so go ahead, Dave. Uh, <laughs> chupa me. No, no, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. All right. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.